Thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Ponzi Supernova, a six-part original series, is available on Audible channels. Listen at audible.com slash Ponzi. It's Tuesday, March 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Happy Tuesday. Thank you. We got some earnings. We're winding down earnings season, and yet companies still keep cranking out the earnings. So they continue to earn money. Well, and report on it. They continue to report on it. I think it's clear <laughs> for anyone who's listened for a while. Not everyone's reporting earnings, uh, but Lennar is. Let's start with the home builder, Lennar. First quarter profits little better than expected. Overall revenue was a little lower than expected. Shares down a couple percent, but that's off of what is essentially a 52-week high. How are we doing when it comes to home builders? Uh, home builders most recently reported uh, for the March numbers the highest level of home builder confidence in 12 years. So, is that good? Well, they think things are good, and it may be the case that it's a good question to ask whether confidence means that things are going to go well, because that has not always been the case. If you reflect back to 12 years ago, 2005, that was a really good time to start getting out of home builders. Um, and certainly, you wanted to be out of them by 2007. Uh, Lennar has had a pretty good quarter. It's up over 20% for the year. And so, a lot of the expectations are were priced in prior to today's release, more or less on, on track with what they've guided to. So, I mean, not, not that we're making sort of big industry-wide calls here, but it, it seems like for the last few quarters, when you know whether we've talked about Lennar or Toll Brothers or you know any of the big home builders, generally the results are good. If you are the average investor, just sort of occasionally taking in headlines about housing. It all seems to be going in the right direction, and I guess my question is: Is now the time to, you know, maybe take a pause, and and if you're thinking about home builders, maybe think twice. Well, let me let's go over a couple of the numbers and then answer it that way. Uh, so deliveries for the quarter were up 13 uh, percent, and orders were up 16 percent. The backlog uh, is now up 24 uh, percent to the last year, and revenue is up 17 percent. Those are numbers, high teens. Uh, and and above numbers, which if you compound them out, get you really 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 rich over periods of time. One quick question: backlog refers to what? Is that sort of like orders that haven't been fulfilled yet? Yeah, what they've got, you know, ordered that uh, they, we haven't built the homes, but we've got the yeah, orders. These are for not them. brand new orders; these are the new orders plus the old new orders okay. that we haven't done anything about. So this is this is what we've got to do. You know, this is this is what we're going to be working on this backlog. So that is all very good. And if these numbers compounded the way numbers of some companies compound over time, as we say, you'd get very rich. But this is, as we know, there's almost nothing more cyclical than home building, uh, which uh, boomed and crashed, and it's not hard to remember exactly when those things happened. And what the consequences were of them were, and there's been a lot of uh, regulation in the meantime to hopefully prevent that kind of uh, peak and valley uh, for home builders and for our economy as a whole. But it's still going to be a cyclical industry, and right now, 
uh, the cycle is on the way up. If you just reminded me when you were talking about the confidence of the home builders themselves of the movie version of Michael Lewis's great book, The Big Short. It's a phenomenal movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. Definitely check it out because it it goes through the housing crisis and obviously profiles some of the people who who saw it coming. But that was, I mean, there are a couple of scenes in there where you have the outsider investor, whether it's Doctor Michael Burry or the the character Steve Carell plays, who you know who who sort of are looking deep into the data, they see the numbers coming, and then when they talk to people in the housing industry. It's nothing but sunshine and rainbows. It's all it, like it's all just like everything's great, market's going great, you know. And then the, there's the scene where they go down to Florida, Carell and his team, and they're like a real estate agent is showing them around, and it's just it's looking pretty sketchy. So the market was, and the film shows that parts of the market were seeing things more efficiently than other parts. And one thing to remember is the home builders in '97 were already as stocks, although that is when um, work peaked. Um, the, the stocks were already declining precipitously. And I think Lennar, to take an example, and I'll look this up quickly, I think it, it fell 64% in 2007. And we think of 2008 as uh, you know, when all the trouble started. Uh, you know, home numbers were already by the beginning of 2008 uh, declining precipitously, and that was, you know, something that uh, investors got out of these things in, in 2007, despite the fact that that was sort of peak uh, sales for the company. And it's only now getting back to 2007 annual revenues. Um, 2007, it did uh, 10.1 billion it, over the last. 12 months uh, before today's report got back to 10.9 after bottoming around $3 billion uh, in 2010-11. So, it was a deep decline. Uh, it's made it all the way back. We're back to where we started. Companies made money in, in that time. You've made money if you held all the way through. Uh, but uh, it is worth keeping in mind that when you see these numbers, they're part of a cycle. They're not part of a compounding better results every year number, which is a different way to invest, a different thing to look for. Let's move from housing to apparel. Uh, Land's End wrapped up their fiscal year with their fourth quarter results. The results seem fine, but that's all they seem. Uh, they've got a new CEO, a guy by the name of Jerome Griffith. I don't, I don't know a ton about Jerome Griffith, except some of the comments that he was making, sort of forward-looking in terms of what his priorities are as CEO. And it seems like number one on his list is looking at what Land's End is doing in e-commerce and really expanding on that, really doing that in a much better way than they're doing right now. And I think anyone who's a shareholder of Land's End probably applauds that, because this is a stock that's kind of going nowhere fast. Uh, well, it went uh, down into uh, sort of the basement fast uh, in terms of. So, it, as I've talked about before, I think one of the keys to life is to have an easy act to follow. And uh, the new CEO does because, <laughs> wow. Uh, well done, Jerome. Federica Marchioni, who was uh, given the heave ho back toward the end of last year. 
and had tried to refashion Land's End as sort of a, a more upscale, fashionable thing with with higher price points and uh, you know more uh, stiletto shoes and, and things that you really don't associate with the brand. If you go to Land's End site today, you'll see they're still trying to get rid of um, the shoes that uh, women's shoes that she had. All the heel shoes are uh, two thirds off. So, good good time to go shop at uh, Landsend.com <laughs> if what you need are some um, some high heels because they're getting out of that. They're going to get back to basics, and I think that is going to help and has helped already with the perception that there's a, a brighter future ahead than you know the struggles that they had trying to get people to think of them as a, them as a completely different kind of store than their customers wanted. I'm not saying that uh, CEOs in any industry should not try to innovate, should not try and uh, aim higher than whatever results that they are putting up. Any industry. I'm not saying that. But I do find it odd when apparel CEOs decide that what they what's really going to move the needle for their business and therefore for their shareholders is to divert pretty significantly from what they've been doing. I mean, I've always thought of Land's End as just sort of good, tried-and-true, basic uh, clothing in sort of a, a wide varieties for kids, for women, for men. So, the, the notion that that's what she had laid out as the blueprint that this you know this is what's going to do it. It's like you know what you don't you don't need to do that. <laughs> just just execute in a profitable way. That's all you need to do. Keep cranking out good clothes in a profitable way. So she had been at Dolce and Gabbana and Ferrari prior to Land's End, and I blame the board, you know, because I think that she came in with a plan that, uh, and they knew what her background was, where her successes were, and I assume that the dialogue between them. Uh, was her saying, "I want to, I don't know, uh, up." Uh, Here's what I'd do if you hired me. Yeah, I, I, I think there's something uh, more fashion-forward than what you guys are doing, and that's that's where your future lies, and that's my expertise. And they hired her and took a shot at it, and it was kind of a disaster from the beginning. And she didn't move to company headquarters; she stayed in New York and. Flew in for a day or two a week, maybe something like that. So there were, you know, culture issues, and I think it was uh, destined to fail. And, and if anything good can be said of it, it's that they got out of it quickly. Well, good luck, Jerome Griffith. So now they've got they've got a new start, and they've got uh, you know uh, somebody whose background is in. Uh, Toomey Holdings, uh, which was uh, he uh, sold it off, or or Samsonite bought it, and it was a luggage company. Yeah, uh, more upscale than than Samsonite, uh, but he's he's worked at Tommy Hilfiger and Gap as well, and is in past lives. So he's got more of a background that one would consider appropriate for you know your vision of Land's End. Let's move on to General Mills. Third quarter revenue falling, and I, I should probably add yet again. This is the seventh quarter in a row of falling sales for General Mills, the parent company of Cheerios and other delicious cereals. But Cheerios is probably what they're best known for. 
one of the many things. Checks, of course. Uh, they've got a lot of different brands. Uh, Wait, do you eat checks? Have you ever eaten checks cereal? Yeah. Yes. I, I just can't get around checks as a cereal. As a mix, that's fine. But and and it's only fine. But do you eat Cheerios? Sure. Yeah. Do you eat Rice Krispies? Yeah. What what about checks seems so objectionable? It's not like you're restricting yourself to the sugary cereal category. Checks is as much of a classic as as those two. I, I'm not debating that. I'm just saying it's not as good as those two. I think you're wrong. Okay, well, I think most uh, most of the listeners agree with me. <laughs> not on that. You know, one. unless they're like four years old or two years old and they're eating Cheerios out of their you know. The little baggie that their their parents are. This huh? is a this is a large stalwart company. You can I'll I'll give you a week. Go back and find me the conference call at any point in history when the management of General Mills came out and said, "You know what? We crushed this. We crushed it this quarter." And you know what was doing it? You know what was the big mover for us? Checks. No. Checks is getting it. People can't get it. We can't make checks fast enough. That's how much people love it. They don't have the big mover. That's not what General Mills is about. It, it is about doing virtually the same thing over and over and over again. And that has shown up in the stock, and that has shown up in you know the numbers. And when you say that it's down uh, seven quarters in a row, true. On the other hand. Uh, it's continued to deliver as a stock. Their earnings are pretty much where they've been for the last couple of years, and you know it, it is a very very stable company, which at the moment is down a little bit for the year. And if that continues to be the case, that'll be the first time in over a decade that shareholders have not not uh, had positive returns from the stock. I was going to say you you had sent me something uh, this morning before we were taping about. I mean, this really. I mean, all kidding aside, this really was one of those stocks that was just a compounding machine over decades. Yes, uh, I wrote about this is in 2005, I think, an article that was about uh, entitled "High Percentage Bets on the Future," and one thing it did was talk about uh, some quotes from movies as, as sort of a hook for saying that the future is ends up being a lot. More similar to the present than you think over long periods of time, and part of the proof of that is that among the best performing stocks over 40 years, going into the time that uh, Jeremy Siegel wrote his book, The Future for Investors: uh, Why the Tried and True Triumph Over the Bold and the New, uh, General Mills was one of the top performers of the S&P over you know 40-year period, and it's been 12 years since then, and it's continued to. Outperform the market over that that time period. I've got I've got the ten year and the fifteen year data in front of me, and General Mills is outperformed the market by about two point two percent over the last ten years, and about one percent over the last fifteen years. Uh, actually, packaged foods as a group have done much better than that. Uh, it has underperformed the packaged foods group uh, over that time period by about two percent. Uh, why is that? One, they were a little bit late uh, to organic foods, and that's been something that has made inroads. And you know, they're also fighting off uh, private label. So packaged foods as a group have done very well. You think, oh, the last 10, 15 years is much must have been dominated by tech. And, you know, still food, good thing to good thing to invest in. Yeah, they seem to have managed 
their brand portfolio pretty well. Um, because you, you don't With hear the exception of checks, apparently, which you think of as sort of a dead brand that nobody's ever eaten. I'm just saying it's a, it's an also ran. It's a oh yes, we also have this for the for the very tiny uh, group of people who rank checks as their number one favorite cereal. Yeah, we're we're there for you, but we know you're a small and dwindling number. Um, but you don't hear much about General Mills looking to really sell off. Major brands in their portfolio. They've 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 done a good job of just sort of managing, uh, you know, because it's yes, it's cereal, but it's also it's as you said, it's packaged foods, it's pizza, it's soup, it's it's you know different snacks. They have an organic chain, um, so they they've done a very good job with that and sort of managing the shelf space within grocery stores. So growing up, what what was the percentage of sugary cereals that you would have been eating? Uh, out of total, very low, very low, very low. Yeah, not that was, welcome in the Hill House. Uh, not by my mom. No, very welcome <laughs> by me, but not. No, no. In fact, it got to the point where uh, every year for Christmas, one of my gifts would be. Uh, you know how they sell the the individual boxes? You can buy like there'll be a package of. Eight individual yeah. boxes. Yeah, I would get one of those at Christmas. One, a single serving a of single frosted serving. flakes. Exactly, frosted flakes. And you'd have to make it last for the year. Fruit Loops, Cocoa Krispies. Uh, back then, it was sugar pops as opposed to corn pops, and and so I would get one of those. And it's like, oh, eight days of sugary cereal <laughs> breakfast for me. So when you went off to college, did you go crazy? I didn't go crazy, but I I didn't limit myself to just basic Cheerios. Or Wheaties, like those. Those, those were sort of the two. What well, about you? Wheaties is another General Mills brand. Yeah, uh, probably about seventy-five percent sugary cereals, from what <laughs> I recall. <laughs> there was a lot of Frosted Flakes, Lucky Charms, tricks, the whole thing. Nice, you know. But I, you know, my mother loved me, so that was, <laughs> I guess, the difference. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you, sir? I mean, she didn't love my, you know, health, I guess, but just. Me as a total package. I just uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to think of a way to respond. Come back from that. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Uh, in the meantime, I want to say thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Audible Channels, which you may not know about, but Audible Channels is a thing. Audible Channels has a new original series called Ponzi Supernova, and it's an original audio documentary series that tells the story you think you know. Bernie Madoff, the legendary fraudster, sent to prison for orchestrating the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Um, But as you find out, that is definitely not the full story. It's drawn from hours of unheard conversations with Bernie Madoff behind bars, interviews with the FBI, the SEC, victims of his scheme. Ponzi Supernova takes you on a fascinating journey into the dark interior of our financial system, a six-part Audible original series and Ponzi Supernova is available on channels. Uh, for th- for those, because you know, there's so much information out there, and it's easy it's easy to forget. For those who have forgotten, Bernie Madoff pulled off a 65 billion dollar scam. Um, it's a fascinating story. I've actually listened to a little bit of it. Uh, it's really good stuff. So, if you want to learn more about the series, go to audible.com/ponzi, and then listen. Audible and and Amazon Prime members. Listen for free. That's audible.com slash Ponzi. Um, the last time you were on, maybe the last two times you were on, uh, I think we, we talked about Wawa. Yeah. The first time it was just, 
in passing. You can you can turn off the podcast now if yeah, you're we're, sick of Wawa. Yeah, if you're sick of Wawa, just uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Um, and then the the last time you were on, we talked about some of the email that we got, and and uh, since then we got. I kind of feel like I need to read this whole thing. I think you should. Well, or you could you could post it if you had the permission of the author. I I, I don't yeah. have the permission yet, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this. Um, you have the permission to read it, but not to post it. You're saying, yeah, because don't make. I, I shouldn't make you split hairs here, because yeah, then you'll you don't uh, want to overthink this. Uh, yeah. You just want to deliver quality to listeners, r- really, regardless of the ethics of it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and this and this is quality. This is this is one of the best emails we've gotten since we started doing market foolery. Um, Chris, it was not my intent, original intention to write you. I was going to let Bill Barker's praise of Wawa stand on its own. But then I saw the posts on the Facebook page from the Bucky's and G- and Casey's general uh, general's apologists, and I knew I couldn't let such an affront to reality go unchallenged. Wawa is objectively, unequivocally, the best convenience store in the world. Bill Barker only touched on a very small portion of Wawa's greatness. He mentioned how early they adopted touchscreen ordering for their hoagies, something which Panera et al. only did recently a full dozen years after Wawa had it in all their locations. As a man who grew up in central New Jersey, some 30 minutes outside of Philly, let me tell you how much I appreciate being able to get my food without having to talk to other people. Native Jerseyans have been accused of many things, but being overly concerned with social niceties is not one of them. Anyways, let it suffice to say that the accuracy and taste of the sandwiches produced by this custom machine hoagie maker process are above reproach. I must have missed the part where Bill Barker talked about the pretzels at Wawa. I know someone from Philadelphia wouldn't have neglected to mention them. They are, in a word, phenomenal. When you make your pilgrimage, no other word does it justice, I recommend the plain, oval-shaped, Philly-style pretzel. You will be tempted by the cheese-filled pretzels under the hot lamp. Remember, you're a beginner. Start with the essentials. Let me just pause for a moment. And... and, uh, He's already hinted at the greatness of this email with his just sideways, sideways shot at you <laughs> for not being a true Philadelphian. <laughs> the shots, the shots become less and less sideways as the email as progresses. the email goes on. The email continues. Speaking of essentials, you should probably pick yourself up a jug of iced tea. It was never my thing, but others go wild over it. I was always more of a coffee guy or kid. I think I started drinking Wawa coffee when I was 11. The coffee deserves its reputation. And yes, Wawa has ATMs with no fee. What does Bucky's have? 38 urinals? How is that even remotely useful? Once again, the insecurities of Texans have led them to conflate size with quality. By such logic, Siberia would make an excellent vacation destination. I can only imagine Bucky customers like the insane number of urinals because it allows them to stand 40 yards away from the next closest person. They must worry their cowboy hats would accidentally touch if they were any closer. You said on the latest podcast this is such a great email. You said on the latest podcast that someone sent you an email saying simply sheets and then the greater than symbol wawa. I'm not terribly surprised that the person recommended Sheets without using frivolous things like complete sentences. I've been to Sheets. It very obviously caters to the type of person who orders their food based off of the picture on the menu. I thought Denny's proved conclusively that such practices were not a sign of quality. I've never been to Casey's General. Like all things Midwest, it sounds very polite and inconsequential. 
Another individual recommended a place called the Pine Cone that exists only in Wisconsin, which I learned recently is technically part of America and not a Canadian province, as is commonly believed. <laughs> they posted a picture of a cream puff to show the virtue of the establishment. I don't know why they thought that would help their argument. It looked like something I would eat if I wanted listeria but didn't have the time to wait in line at Chipotle. This was on, uh, that was on the Facebook uh, page. Motley Fool Podcast. If you're on Facebook and you'd like to join us, please do. The email continues. I say all this, uh, I say all, I say all that to say this. Go to Wawa. You won't regret it. Anyways, I love the podcast. I found it two years ago and now listen to it every day while I'm driving or in the gym. I have to say I'm very pleased with your decision to include advertisements. Now I don't feel at all guilty about listening and not paying for any of the Motley Fool services or products. I never actually felt guilty before the advertisements came, but theoretically, I might have one day. Don't feel bad about not winning the Father of the Year Award. You've got a good shot at Most Northeastern Things Said in the History of America Award for your comment about, quote, visiting Delaware every year for a rowing regatta. So there's that. Again, a phenomenal email. Yes, and a, and a takedown of everyone and everything, Every, including involved. including you and me. Well, yeah, and if you're from either Texas or Wisconsin and feeling uh, defensive about the shots taken there, just remember the author took shots at his own homeland uh, of, of central New Jersey. Yes, so it it was equal opportunity. Yeah, everyone, and given enough, you know, given a couple hundred more words, I think there just would have been more and more locations and individuals and establishments that were. You know, mocked and uh, you know measured as coming up uh, woefully short of Wawa, which uh, you know just shows his intelligence. You got to you got to respect an email that just lays waste to absolutely everything <laughs> and everyone, and does it in such an eloquent manner. So we are uh, we stand in. You awe. appreciate all well written emails. I I appreciate all emails. Period. But th- like emails like that are. You know, the, the, those are the, those are the emails that get forwarded to people like you and Bill Mann and you know Roger Friedman and others, and it's just sort of like, oh my gosh, look at this. Got to share. Got to share this. Uh, one more thing to share, and that's FoolFunds.com, which is where Bill Barker and Brian Hinman, Charlie Travers, Tony Arstead, Dave Meyer, Nate Weiser, the whole Fool Funds crew, the analysts at large down there are uh, are hard at work. Uh, you can check out their writings. Uh, you can check out their funds. Go to foolfunds.com to check it out. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. I have one thing to add to this conversation about Wawa. Yeah. Can we not talk about Wawa anymore, please? (laughs) I think we're done now.